0: This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Open your Bibles this morning to Mark, Mark chapter 8. If you are new today, we are walking through the Gospel of Mark, and today we're talking about what it means to follow Jesus. You know, our vision as a church is to glorify Christ by making disciples who make disciples in our community and around the world. There is no text that that gets more centrally to what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to be a disciple, than this text. Let's look at it together. Mark 8 and beginning with verse 31. The Bible says, "...and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again." And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter... For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Let's pray. Father, as we come now to Your Word, we pray that You would give us, give us open, humble hearts to receive what You have for us today. We pray that Your Holy Spirit would bring conviction to our hearts about what it means to follow You. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Those words come from the journal of Jim Elliot, a missionary who was martyred along with four other missionaries in a remote part of Ecuador in 1956. They were murdered by the very people that they had come to win to Christ these killings shocked Americans. Five Americans dead in a jungle in Ecuador. Americans wondered, what is this all about? Why would five highly educated Americans turn away from their their ability to to pursue the American dream and move with their families to the jungle of Ecuador? Knowing the risks, knowing that this, this tribe was hostile to outsiders and had killed Westerners before. Isn't this just a a horrible tragedy? Well, Jim Elliott's widow, Elizabeth, answered this in the introduction to her classic book, Shadow of the Almighty. Elizabeth Elliott, Jim Elliott's widow, wrote, The world called it a nightmare of tragedy. The world did not recognize the truth of the second clause of Jim Elliot's credo. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jim Elliot had obviously reflected very deeply on the meaning of our text today. It's a text that goes right to the heart of what Jesus was about and what it means to follow him. So what do we see here in this text? First of all, we see some straight talk from Jesus about His mission. Look at verse 31 and the beginning of verse 32. And He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And He said this plainly. Now until this point, Jesus has alluded to these things in a sort of a veiled way, but now this is no longer veiled. This is explicit. And Jesus says here, first of all, that He must suffer. Now bear in mind, this comes immediately after Peter's confession of Jesus as the Messiah, which we just looked at. And now Jesus is saying that the Messiah must Suffer. Now, Jewish people in the time of Jesus were expecting the Messiah, but none of them, none of them, were expecting that the Messiah was going to suffer. Now, in retrospect, maybe they should have. You know, we look at Isaiah 53 and and a host of other texts in the Old Testament that suggests that the Messiah was going to be sort of a suffering servant. But the people of Jesus' day overlooked those texts, or they interpreted those texts in a different way because it wasn't what they wanted to hear. They were looking for a Messiah. They wanted a Messiah who was going to be about victory and glory and success and who was going to lead them to all of those things, not a Messiah who was going to be about suffering and rejection and death. Just like today, we want to invent versions of Christianity that are about worldly success and not a cross. Now, this should be a very cautionary note for us. The fact that there were all of these Scriptures in the Old Testament that prophesied about the Messiah as a suffering servant and and no one who was expecting a Messiah who was going to be a suffering servant. This should be a word of caution for us. Because how many Scriptures do we ignore or minimize or overlook because they do not... They do not mean what we would want them to mean. How many times do we do we overlook certain scriptures or minimize them or ignore them because it's just, it's just not what we want to hear? How many times do we read the Bible through a grid? Either our grid or someone else's grid. And so, friends, we have to be very careful when we read the scriptures, don't we? Careful to come to the scriptures with open, humble hearts and and a willingness to follow the truth wherever it leads us. We have to be careful when we come to the Bible not to read the Bible through a filter, through a grid, but just allow the truth to form and shape us rather than us seeking to form and shape the Scripture to mean what we would want it to mean. This is such a a cautionary note for us about how we read the Bible. Jesus says here that the Messiah is not only going to suffer, but that He is going to be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And the fact that Jesus mentions all three of these groups of people means that He's saying that He is going to be tried by the Sanhedrin the official Jewish judicial body in Jerusalem, and that He is going to be sentenced to death by them. Now imagine how this hits the disciples, who are expecting, like everybody else, a Messiah who's going to come in and deal with the Gentiles, deal with the Romans, kick out the pagans. And now Jesus is saying that the Messiah is going to be sentenced to death, by His own people? See, not only does this not fit the messianic stereotype that they had in their minds, Jesus is not only not fitting into that messianic stereotype, but Jesus is defining His mission in scandalous contrast to that. In scandalous contrast to everything that was in their minds about the Messiah. And then Jesus says in verse thirty-one, and after three days, rise again. Now we may tend to think, well, Jesus mentions He's going to rise again. That that maybe that that must have they must have breathed a sigh of relief. Whew. Jesus, yes, He's going to rise again. That you know that that just we can handle everything you just said in light of that. But look, first of all after what he just said about being rejected and, and, and killed, I don't even know how much they actually heard about what he said about the resurrection, but even if they did, they didn't have a category for that. Just like they didn't have a category for a Messiah who was going to suffer and be killed by his own people, they didn't have a category for a Messiah who was going to rise again. And so all of this is confusing, it's dismaying, it's actually repulsive to them. And Peter is the one who speaks up. But you can better believe that Peter is simply representing what all of them are thinking. And Peter speaks up, and as Jesus engaged in straight talk, Peter is going to engage in talk that Jesus is going to label as satanic, satanic talk. Verse, the end of verse 32 and verse 33. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Now remember the source for the Gospel of Mark. It's Peter. The Gospel of Mark is based on the eyewitness testimony of Peter. Mark was Peter's protege. And so in the Gospel of Mark, he's putting down Peter's eyewitness testimony. These are the stories, the way that Peter would tell them. And look, in in the Gospel of Mark, Peter comes across. The the shortcomings and the flaws and the foibles and the sins of Peter are on full display. More so than in the other three Gospels. This tells us something about Peter's humility, doesn't it? When Peter would, would recount these eyewitness stories, he would, not, he would not try to minimize his own failures. He would, he would put them out there for all to hear about. Um, it just shows his humility and his, his authenticity, doesn't it? You, you can imagine Peter looking back on this saying, can you believe I was rebuking Jesus? And not only rebuking him, But rebuking him in the strongest possible terms, the word rebuke here is the same word that that was used, the same Greek word that was used in in the rebuke of demons. And Jesus turns it right around and he says, no, Peter, what you were saying is coming from demons, coming from the pit of hell. Get behind me, Satan. Now, what was it about... Peter's words that, that, were just, that were so satanic. How, how was Peter, in seeking to dissuade Jesus from suffering from death, how was Peter representing Satan's agenda? It, it was because Jesus knew that the only way that Satan's stronghold could be destroyed was if he took evil on himself. The only way that evil could be defeated, Jesus knew, would be is if He went to the cross and allowed evil to converge on Him. Jesus knew that the only way that the curse of sin and death could be reversed would be if He went to the cross and became a curse for us. And so Peter, in seeking to dissuade Him from this, is representing the agenda of Satan. C.S. Lewis in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe pictures that Jesus as Aslan, the lion, who, who dies on the stone table. It's just a beautiful picture of the, of the cross. And, and Lewis, uh, Lewis says there uh, in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, when a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, the table would crack and death itself would start working backwards. And Of course, Lewis here is, is seeking to, uh, to portray what is said in Galatians 3 and verse 13, where Paul says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. The third thing that we see in this text is saving talk saving talk, verse 34. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. It's interesting. Peter wants to kind of take Jesus aside privately and rebuke him. <laughs> but Jesus, as he responds to Peter, he, he, he calls the disciples and says, I want all of you guys to hear this, what I'm about to say. And then Jesus calls to the crowd. He says, I want everyone, everyone who claims to be my follower, I want all of you to hear this. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Because see, Jesus knows that if, 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 they miss, if people misunderstand his messiahship this badly,
1: if they misunderstand his messiahship
0: like this, then they certainly misunderstand what discipleship is all about. And so Jesus wants everybody who claims to be His follower to hear what He is about to say. Because He knows this. Jesus knows that many in the crowd are following Him for all the wrong reasons. They think the miracles are cool. They think the Messiah is going to lead them to national glory and success and life and, and all of those things. And Jesus wants them to understand this is about a cross. You know, certainly if certain church growth gurus were advising Jesus, they would would say, hey, Jesus, this is not how you build a mega church. This is how you build a mini church. And Jesus would say, yeah. (laughs) Because Jesus knows that ultimately the kingdom is going to grow more when the superficial drop out, which they are certainly going to do, and when those who are serious about following Jesus and take up a cross remain. That's what's happening here. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, first of all, let him deny himself. Jesus says to each of us, your desire for worldly success and acclaim and prestige, and power. You're putting of yourself at the center of your life, making yourself number one. That has to go if you're going to follow me. It has to go. You must deny yourself. Second, Jesus says you must take up your cross. Now, these words sounded so different in first century culture, from what they found today, we have to camp here for a second. Because when we think of a cross, we, we think of a piece of jewelry, perhaps. We think of something that would be on top of maybe a church steeple. We may think about some inconvenience in life, you know, a cross I have to bear. That's not what people, that none of those things came into the minds of first century people when they heard about a cross. When the people that are hearing Jesus speak that day heard this, or when the people that first heard heard Mark's gospel heard this, when they heard about a cross, what they were thinking about is what they had looked up on hillsides and seen, and that is people dying on a cross. The cross was an instrument of execution. The most horrible instrument of execution. It was repulsive. And and people were crucified. The Romans crucified people on crosses to make a point. And they had seen it. First century Jewish people who were hearing this had seen it. They had seen people crucified. They knew what it was all about. The people that in, 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 in the early 60s AD in Rome that were hearing about this gospel, they knew that Nero crucified people, crucified Christians on crosses. They knew that the cross was meant death. It was an instrument of death, the most horrible instrument of execution. And Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you have to be willing to go there. You've got to follow me all the way. I'm headed to Golgotha. If you're truly going to be my follower, you have to be willing to follow me there. By the way... Mark was written to Christians who were, were suffering in, in Rome under Nero imagine how they would have felt imagine how Christians today who were in, in some cases being crucified or burned alive by ISIS or whatever um, imagine how Christians in North Africa and the Middle East what, what, what might they be tempted to feel in the midst of such persecution God has forgotten me. God has abandoned me. But see, Mark wants them to understand that the fact that you are suffering like this is not a mark that God has abandoned you. The fact that you are suffering like this is a mark that you truly belong to him, that you are identified with him, that you are his, because this is what it means. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Follow me. And he writes as this, following Jesus is more or less what being a Christian means. And Jesus is not leading us on a pleasant afternoon hike, but on a walk into danger and risk. Or did we suppose that the kingdom of God would mean merely a few minor adjustments to our ordinary lives. Verse 35. Jesus says, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. Now let's look at both of these counterintuitive statements. First of all, Jesus says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. In other words, if you refuse to take up the cross and make it all about you, make it all about you you being at the center and you're unwilling to suffer for the gospel, you're unwilling to truly follow Jesus, then what that means is that you're going to end up wasting your life and wasting your eternity. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. In other words, if you take up the cross and follow Jesus and let the chips fall where they may, then you will end up becoming the person that God purposed you to be both in this life and throughout all eternity. But you must choose. There is a choice to be made. And it is not a both and choice. It is an either-or choice. Either you will follow Jesus as your king and take up your cross and follow Him, whatever that means, and wherever it leads, or you will pursue your own agenda, your own worldly success, and put yourself at the center. Make yourself number one. But you can't do both. (laughs) You cannot do both. This is not both and. This is either or. Now here is why pursuing your own agenda and forsaking the cross is such a short-sighted, unwise decision. Verses 36 and 37. Jesus says, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul for what can a man give in return for his soul? Suppose you become a smashing success in the eyes of the world. You've got it all. You have Fame, money, power, prestige. I mean, you succeed as well as you, anybody can possibly succeed in the eyes of the world. And you spend eternity in hell. You know, Jesus tells a parable about someone like that. He tells a parable about a man who, who, who is this incredible success and, and, he, and, he's, and he's blessed financially. He's, he, you know, and uh, so he gets, he's got all these blessings and everything and he concludes, hey, what am I going to do with all these blessings? I'm going to build bigger barns. <laughs> it's all about me. I'm not going to help anybody else out. It's not for anybody else. It's not for God's glory. This is about me. I'm going to build bigger barns. And so he builds his bigger barns. And then he he sits back and he says, hey, I got it all fixed. I got it all stored up. It's all stored up. I'm totally secure. Let's party. Let's eat, drink, and be merry. And then he keels over and dies. Jesus says, how much, how much does it help you now? What does it profit? a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul. You know, after the fall of the Berlin Wall, they found in East Germany the, the files of the Stasi. The Stasi were the East German secret police. And for years and years in this police state, the way that they operated was to get neighbor to turn against neighbor. The whole whole system In East German society, this police state, was to get neighbor to betray neighbor. And so they would just pit people against one another and everybody spying on one another and so forth. And in the files of the Stasi, there was an amazing testimony that was found. They approached this person and seeking to make them an informant like they did everybody. And this person... Christian refuses, and this is what is written about them in the East German secret police files. It says this, a contact who was approached to become an informant writes, after a thorough and intensive examination of my religious convictions as a Christian, I must tell you I cannot compromise the fundamentals of what I believe by what you are asking me to do. I cannot justify such behavior with what the New Testament requires of me. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? We don't know what happened to this person. Could have been sent to a gulag. You know, it could have been... um, They certainly gave up any opportunity to advance in East German society. We don't even know their name. God knows their name. God knows their name. And this person obviously wasn't thinking about what was going to benefit them for the next three years of their life or the next 30. They were thinking about the next 30,000 and the next 30 million and the next 30 trillion. Verse 38. Jesus says, For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. You now Jesus knows that none of us wants to suffer. I mean, none of us like suffering. We run from pain. We don't like pain. And, and so Jesus knows that there, there's going to be a temptation to wimp out there's going to be a temptation to be ashamed of the gospel now for first century believers and for a lot of believers today in the middle east and north africa and, and other parts of the world that means there, there, there's going to be a temptation to, to, to minimize and not be open about your faith because you want to preserve your physical life for us There's more of a temptation to to minimize and not be real open about our faith in Christ because deep down we crave the acceptance of the world. I shared this story one time before, but it, it it bears repeating. But Ken Elzinga is a professor at the University of Virginia, teaches economics. He, uh, he's very popular. His classes are very popular on campus. In fact, uh, there's a waiting list to get in those classes. Uh, he's been awarded with the Jefferson Award, the highest uh, honor that a UVA faculty member can be accorded. But many years ago, as a, a young uh, professor uh, and a young Christian, Ken was talking with one of his colleagues And this colleague said, you know, I know you're an evangelical Christian and everything, but you might not want to advertise that because it could be bad for your career. And uh, shortly after that conversation, Ken was walking across campus in a very prominent place on the campus, and he looks up and and he sees a flyer for a campus ministry, and there's his face prominently displayed on it because he was going to speak at that campus ministry. And he thought about what his colleague had said, and he kind of looked around to see if anybody was noticing. And he took down the flyer, went home that night, tossed and turned, couldn't get to sleep, and he came to a decision about the rest of his life. And the decision was this. I am going to be an unashamed follower of Jesus Christ and I'm going to let the chips fall where they may. And if I'm going to follow Jesus, then being private about my faith is simply not an option. He got up out of bed, got the flyer, went back down to the prominent place on campus, and put it right back up. And he decided, I'm going to live the rest of my life for an audience of one. Now, Jesus says that one, he's coming again. And when he comes, there's going to be a reckoning. At the beginning of the film Gladiator, General Maximus says to his troops, What we do in life echoes in eternity. That is so true, (laughs) and no more true than what we do with Jesus Christ. What we do with Christ in life will echo for all eternity. Right now, the choices we make right now count forever. Let's pray. Father, we pray that You would give us the grace to follow You. Unashamedly, without reserve, whatever that means, wherever You lead, because You are the One who has loved us so much that You took our sins upon Yourself and You rose victoriously from the dead. You and only You have conquered death. We pray that You would give us the grace to follow You, to be unashamed followers of You, to be bold, lovingly bold about our faith to be free live our lives for an audience of one for your honor and glory alone As we just continue to pray today perhaps you're here today and you've never made that definitive choice in your life to follow Jesus Jesus is calling you to himself, to follow him We're not even promised tomorrow. But God has placed you here today. You have now turned to Jesus in repentance and faith. And say, you're my Lord, my King. I follow you. Father, speak to our hearts right now, we pray, in this time of decision. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here today and God's speaking to you about following Christ, about giving your life to Him without If God's speaking to you about saying, I want to be a part of this church family as we seek to follow Christ together, then we want to invite you to come. Let's stand together as we sing. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, his very own son or daughter just imagine Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth is now your loving father and you are his child you say, I love him how can I honor God with the rest of my life? well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them we get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the bible and begin to read it begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer at Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I can help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.